Morning, I'm Alex Mosed, and we're here on Winner Take All, where we talk about all things tech, monopolies, and how to capture these very valuable network effects. We're going to do a deep dive on Uber versus Lyft quarterly earnings releases. They, they released their quarterly earnings a couple weeks ago. Taking me a little bit, but I really wanted to kind of dive deep into the numbers and, and, and analyze what's going on between these two companies. Um, we were talking about Apple TV's uh, $6 billion investment yesterday. I, I missed something on that, so we're going to come back to that. Instagram announces that they're going to now let uh, people buy stuff on Instagram, and they're, they're about to roll that out. I think that's going to be very interesting. I want to look at that. Pinduoduo, the uh, uh, number three e-commerce player in China, just released earnings this morning with a huge beat. They're up over 13% right now. So we're going to look into that a little bit. And then also look at um, some uh, regu- the role of regulation in China of tech platforms and what's going on with, with uh, a, a, a recent Tencent move in China. Um, so let's dive into the, the Uber versus Lyft situation here. First off, if I was to just show you two charts, one chart here is, um, so they both release earnings around August 6th or August 7th. So if you kind of look in the middle of this chart, uh, you see a spike on the 7th. So, so Lyft had a more positive response from the market after coming out with their earnings. And then here's Uber. Um, you see, that I think they came out the day after, so they were also up, and then, and then it went down. But, you know, if you kind of look what's happened in the past couple of weeks since then, it's kind of the same chart. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. Um, so why is that, right? So basically, Lyft was able to beat on, on growth and revenue expectations. Um, Lyft does not report GMV. Uber does report GMV. Lyft just reports their revenue, which in the past I've talked about how I'm, I'm not a fan of that. I'm a fan of much more transparency. And I think Lyft long-term is doing that because they're reticent about disclosing that where Uber does. And Uber is obviously the much more dominant player in ride-sharing um, in the US. Now, let's dive a little bit deeper here. So Uber's gross bookings uh, grew at 37% to about $15.75 billion. So that's gross GMV across all the stuff they're doing globally. It was expected to be $15.83 billion. Okay, so they, they missed it by like $80 million. Okay, compared to Lyft, Lyft had, um, let's see here, 62% uh, revenue growth. So they had... Uh, they expected revenue, they upped their revenue guidance by a few hundred million dollars. So all in their annual revenue, they're expecting to be around 3.47 to $3.5 billion. Um, the, the prior expectation was around $3.3 billion. So it basically went from 3.3 to 3.5 on an annual revenue basis. Okay, $3.5 billion. Uber's single quarter revenue, okay, grew at 26% to $2.87 billion, right? So basically, Uber's doing $2.87, $2.9 billion in revenue in one quarter. Lyft is saying we expect to do about $3.5 billion over the next entire year. There are our, our full revenue for 2019, okay? <clears throat> Let's look at another thing, their market cap. Let's look at the valuation. So Lyft's current market cap today 
is about $15 billion. <clears throat> Uber is at $60 billion, okay? So you're kind of saying, okay, let me do the math here. Yeah, I mean, Uber kind of has 4X the revenue um, of Lyft. Okay, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Um, you could also say, well, you know, I don't know what, what Lyft's GMV is because they're not disclosing it anymore. Um, but Uber has massive GMV, right? Close to $16 billion in GMV. So it makes sense to me why the market responded more positively to Lyft because Lyft was able to beat the expectation on growth. And, and Uber's revenue also missed the expectation on revenue growth. It was still a lot, 26%, but the market expected more. Um, it wasn't a big miss, but it was still a miss nonetheless. And particularly when these companies, these younger public platform companies, I think the market values their ability to beat on growth much more so than their ability to beat on earnings. Um, which is clearly the case. They're both losing money. But if the growth, top line growth is slowing, then that's much more concerning to the market. And that makes sense because these are high growth platform business models supposed to be winner take all, right? Um, here is why I'm more bullish on Uber long term. If you just look at where they're at today and you say Uber is worth 4X Lyft and you say, okay, I don't know, you know, let's say, um, Uber is doing 4x revenue roughly, a little like 3.5, 3.75x revenue of what Lyft is doing today. The problem with that is that Uber is, in, is a global company. Um, Uber is in multiple platform models. So they're not just in ride sharing in the US. They're in now the food delivery space in the US. They're in food delivery in Europe. They're obviously in ride sharing in Europe. Actually, in their earnings, they just said that you know, they're actually crushing the top five cities in Germany. So they are making huge entryways into other markets in ride sharing, um, as they were doing in China. And then they sold that off to DD, which is the, um, you know, Chinese version of Uber. Um, and that was widely profitable and accretive for Uber, the investments they made in ride sharing in China. So here's the thing. If this is a winner take all market and you say to yourself, I don't know what the split is going to be in the U.S. on ride sharing, Uber versus Lyft. Let's say the split is conservative. Let's say Lyft and Uber split the market 50-50. And you say, okay, well then if, um, if Uber has um, double the value of Lyft on the ride sharing mar market, um, <clears throat> you know, how is Uber justifying a 4X uh, market cap? But the problem is that the market isn't being split 50-50, and Uber actually has a much larger share of ride-sharing just in the United States. So let's say they split this thing 70-30, and then you start to layer in the food delivery, and then you start to layer in the fact that they're also in a dominant position in other ride-sharing markets internationally, and then you start to line up these numbers and say, is it really just a four-to-one is it just really, you know, the market cap should be four to one because the revenue is almost four to one? Um, and I don't think so. I think what you see happening here is there's kind of a, a, a bifurcation where you have Uber really becoming platform conglomerate status, tech monopoly status. You've got Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Microsoft. 
FAMGA, right? Absolutely, tech monopolies. Who's the sixth tech monopoly that I, that I think is going to be added to that, that gang of five, soon to be gang of six? I think it's Uber. I think it's UFAMGA. I mean, they are really setting themselves up for long-term domination in multiple platform models on multiple continents. Um, and I don't think that that simple calculation is just a four-to-one calculation. Um, that doesn't mean that Lyft is undervalued at $15 billion. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying between the two, long-term, who do I see outperforming where they're valued at today? Lyft could still outperform and still have plenty of upside. But between the two, when I look at how the network effects of this business are being captured and the fragmentation and the lock-in, Uber's talking about Uber Rewards, which we were talking about, right? Uber came out with Uber Rewards months, months before Lyft. They just have a bigger balance sheet. They're more heavily capitalized. They've got a bigger team. They can execute more quickly with the right management, which I think Dara's an excellent CEO. And now they're getting really tight lock-in on Uber Rewards. The, the, the one thing on Uber I'm not as bullish on is honestly Uber Freight. Um, and here is why. It kind of reminds me of when Amazon was trying to get into uh, liquor delivery. And, and what you tend to see is these, these platform conglomerates have a huge ability to spin off new platform businesses, right? Every kind of large tech monopoly, UFAMGA, if I put Uber in there now, um, they're basically becoming massive new business incubation engines, right? Google, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, they literally have hundreds of teams. All these teams are tasked with doing is start a new platform for me. Take one or both sides of my existing ecosystem, my consumers, my producers, um, my brand, the value-add services. Take these assets and spin out platform businesses. That is what the teams are tasked with. And that's why when you look at how Uber reports, reports their financials, let's pull up this graph here, right? Here is gross bookings. So on a gross bookings basis, they actually had 37% growth, right? Um, then they break out core platform gross bookings. So this is $15.57 billion. And, they, and in, in this, you see them breaking out ride sharing and Uber Eats, right? This is 15.75 billion. So you've got over $200 million in GMV from just other bets. That's literally what they call this, other bets. I mean, it's kind of amazing. And what are these other bets? Well, it's a series of things, one of which is Uber Freight. Here's the challenge with Uber Freight and the Amazon corollary. When Amazon gets into many new businesses, they kind of like to do things the Amazon way. I want to get into this new platform model, but I don't want to change all the underlying infrastructure and that core transaction of how I connect a consumer with, say, a third-party seller or distributor, right? Um, so the problem for Amazon and liquor was that there's laws and it's regulated and you can't actually have a take rate, um, say, in, in New York State. Amazon, if, if you're buying a bottle of tequila from the liquor store down the street, Amazon could figure out how to get you that bottle of tequila, but usually Amazon will take, you know, 10, 15, 20% of the hundred bucks that you spend on the tequila. Um, you can't do that. That's actually against the law in New York state. So what you've seen with these um, 
liquor delivery platforms like Drizzly and Minibar, um, they haven't been able to raise huge sums of money because the economics of, of, the, of the marketplace are different. The lock-in effect on the marketplace are different. Really, they're just charging kind of like an advertising model to the merchants, to the liquor stores to say, hey, sign up on the platform and I'm going to bring you, you know, pay me, I don't know, a few hundred bucks a month or something. And I'm going to bring you orders. And then, you know, we'll handle the fulfillment and this kind of stuff or the store can do the fulfillment or we can do the fulfillment for you. I'm sure there's different options. But you're not having a take rate on the core transaction. That's a much less sticky model. It's kind of like what we talked about with car marketplaces, cars.com, cars gurus, these kind of like 1.0 marketplaces like a Craigslist. Not as sticky, not much lock in effect. Same thing I think is going to happen in logistics with Uber Freight. Here's why. Um, when Uber really took off, it wasn't Uber Black where Uber started. Uber started with Uber Black, black cars. That was okay. But the true value, the true breakthrough for Uber was when you can create new supply, right? right? Marketplaces thrive on fragmentation. Where was their fragmentation? Saying, oh, literally just anyone, on the, anyone in this country who owns a car and has a few extra hours of free time, why don't I let them drive and be a taxi? And that was Uber X. And when Uber X came out, this, they got the hockey stick curve, right? Uber X, not Uber Black, which is where they started. Uber X is really the thing that has driven, that they've been able to tap into literally what you would call not just fragmentation, but latent supply. Just everyone is now can be a taxi driver, right? And make incremental uh, money. There is no latent supply in the trucking and logistics industry. There's actually a massive trucker shortage by the millions of truckers. And it's much harder to just say, hey, does anyone want to go drive a truck? <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. You can't do like Uber X for trucks. You need to have a commercial driver's license. You also need this thing called a rig. You don't just have people with rigs lying around. So it's a much different industry, which means that when you have much tighter supply, it still is very fragmented. There's still a lack of pricing transparency. So there are a lot of these inefficiencies. And that's essentially what Uber Freight is solving for right now. It's basically saying, hey, I'm going to connect a small shipper with these, um, you know, uh, um, kind of more individual, independent truck drivers. And I'm going to take the friction out of payments. So Uber Freight's paying the drivers in like five days, whereas typically the drivers would get paid in maybe 30 or 60 days. So that's nice. But if you listen to Bill Gurley, a platform guru, um, you're really just like, what's the value there? Is there really a platform network effect value? Or are you just kind of helping out on the economics and like giving them their money faster? So yeah, you're giving them an app. That's nice. Better technology. You're giving them money faster. That's nice. You're giving them some better economics. Is there a true network effect lock-in dynamic here? And it's not there in the current construct of how Uber does things, which is consumer to producer. The model that needs to be embraced by Uber, and which I'm telling you scares the living daylights out of the large trucking and logistics companies like an XPO, like a JB Hunt, like a DB Shanker, CH Robinson, et cetera, is this. Where is their fragmentation? Where could you harness supply that you're not harnessing today? So all these big trucking companies 
are saying, oh, we're investing $500 million, a billion dollars into our infrastructure. There's this thing in the trucking industry called 3PLs, third-party logistics provider. And basically, you can think of a 3PL as kind of like a 20th century broker, right? And the 3PL is saying, I connect a shipper with truckers. And I am the middleman. I'm kind of coordinating the logistics and the route and, you know, how this how this load is going to fit into the you know trucker's schedule. There's these things called less than truckload LTL market versus full truckload FTL. And so you find a lot of this in the LTL market starting, which is more commoditized, kind of, hey, I've got some extra room on my truck. Let me put in a new load. Then it can slowly start to creep up into the FTL market. Here's the thing. I think the true winner-take-all dynamic in the logistics 3PL industry is to do exactly that. Not a two-sided marketplace. It's a three-sided marketplace. What you need to do is commoditize the complement. If you're a large incumbent trucking and 3PL company and you're investing hundreds of millions of dollars into your 3PL software connecting shippers and truckers, right? What you need to do is open up the kimono to the enemy. Who is the enemy? The small mom and pop 3PLs. Those are their fiercest competitors. So if I'm an Uber, how do I win an Uber Freight? I embrace my competition. Who who Uber Freight is supposed to replace, right? They're supposed to replace the role of the 3PL. What I'm saying is you're not going to get to scale unless you embrace who you're trying to replace right now. Eventually replace them in 10 years, right? And get to scale. But here's the trick. I give away the technology for free. Rule one of every platform. Give away the technology for free. I let the 3PLs use my technology to coordinate between their existing shipping customers and their existing trucking supply. Fantastic. Value add. Free software. The software sucks in this industry, by the way. It's horrible, especially if you're a small 3PL. Okay, that's why the big trucking companies are making, oh, we're investing hundreds of millions of dollars into all this infrastructure and tech. Great. Small 3PLs are being left behind. There are over 17,000 3PLs in this country. Can you smell fragmentation? Number two, now you bring extra demand to the 3PLs, to the small 3PLs. Maybe it's a little bit more complicated jobs. Maybe it's things that what Uber Freight is doing today, which is just simply connecting shipper to trucker, right? No middleman. The platform is purely the middleman. There are a tranche of jobs that don't fit that matchmaking mechanism. So you can get those jobs and bring those to 3PLs. And you can also now figure out different economics where maybe you want a little bit of a higher touch value add service model with 3PLs. But the point is, For the platform model that truly embraces a three-sided marketplace. Now, three-sided marketplaces are exponentially more difficult than a two-sided marketplace. But if you really want to capture immense supply, and that's the challenge in this business, how do I get supply? And you're not purely going to capture supply by only relying on independent truckers that the platform can have this direct relationship with. You're going to need to open up to these small mom-and-pop 3PLs and then ipso facto, get access to the small 3PLs, truckers. And now you can really tap into serious supply. And then you can really try to juice demand. And you, by the way, can capture a much wider spectrum of demand. 
So that's my challenge with Uber Freight. I don't know if Uber Freight is going to be able to break the mold for how Uber does logistics marketplaces, which is a two-sided marketplace. But for Uber Freight to win, it needs to be a three-sided marketplace. And there are different tech startups that are taking a three-sided marketplace approach. But if Uber does this, then obviously, I mean, they do it in a big way. And, and that, to me, would be the really scary thing for the large incumbent uh, trucking companies. Okay. So we were talking about Apple TV yesterday making $6 billion investment in content. I mean, this is just kind of funny. I missed this. It's literally called Apple TV+. Plus. <laughs> I don't know what branding people are working on this, but literally Disney's Netflix competitor is called Disney+. Plus. So, <laughs> I don't know. Don't call it the same thing, guys. I mean, the plus, really, you have five or six companies going after this space with Netflix competitors and Apple and Disney call it the same thing. I mean, really? I mean, come on. I mean, get a better name. Okay, that's all I wanted to say. So this is cool. Instagram wants hackers to go after its new shopping feature. So what you've kind of seen, like Instagram's been tinkering with this. Instagram. Platform type is content platform, right? It's a one-to-many. It's a maker model. I post a photo or a video. I want millions and millions and millions of people to uh, like or engage with that single piece of content. Um, This is now going into product marketplace territory. This is this checkout feature. And they've been doing stuff in the past where you could, you know, tag something and buy it. But now what they're doing is they're really tightening that, that checkout process because honestly, I mean, I have bought stuff off of stuff I've seen on Instagram, but it's a very clunky process. What Instagram, I think they're doing here is saying, we're going to have a profile for you, Alex. I'm going to store your credit card and payment information. And now you're going to buy, you're going to be able to buy products purely within the Instagram experience. Right now, I would need to go to these other websites, enter in my credit card information, you know, create an account, all this kind of stuff. So think about this as just really streamlining this. They've seen a lot of success, even with a very, not broken, but a very kind of arduous checkout process. It's not streamlined as it could nearly be. So now they're streamlining it. And I think this is going to be a very big deal um, for Instagram's just overall economic profile. And now what you're seeing, here's the cool thing, right? So as I was talking about before, tech monopolies are just massive new platform incubation engines. Not only has Facebook stacked Instagram on top of Facebook, Facebook's kind of platform conglomerate, now they're stacking a platform type product marketplace on top of Instagram, on top of the kind of like subsidiary content platform. They're stacking platform on top of platform on top of platform. It's a thing of beauty. And I think this is going to, this is going to crush. Okay, this is kind of funny. We were talking about um, Twitter and Facebook weaning out kind of uh, bots from the Chinese government that were trying to influence what's going on in Hong Kong. So this is funny. Tencent um, is a platform company. They're not in plat because they have OTC status with the U.S. exchanges. They just don't disclose enough information for us to really put a stamp of approval on their financials and on their disclosures to say that, yes, they should be in the index. But I am 
99% confident that they are a platform. They own a lot of development platforms. They own Fortnite, which has been huge in the US. So now what they're saying is um, the PUBG. PUBG was kind of like the predecessor to Fortnite. So Tencent is bringing PUBG to China. And, you know, the idea, the gaming model in, is that you basically have like a free-for-all and then you everyone kills each other and then there's, there's one person left standing and, and that's the winner. It's fun. It's exhilarating. Um, so let me read this to you. Usually, the last surviving player on the battlefield will receive the victory message, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Now the last five players will be named the winner of the game. If players make it to the top five, the game will post a message to users informing them that they've already won and will ask, would they like to continue? And so PUBG is changing this for China to align with socialist core values. I can't make this stuff up. So they're basically saying, hey, you guys have won. Top five. Would you like to keep playing and play to the death? I don't know how they're going to do this. I wonder if it has to be a unanimous decision amongst all five people. That would kind of be the socialist way, right? Like you couldn't just do a, a democratic vote. It shouldn't be majority. You know, three out of five say, yes, let's continue. Like that could get them into hot water too. I wonder how deep they really aligned this decision model with with uh, the Chinese Communist Party. Um, but this is just one example. And the unfortunate thing with this is, look, platforms are so powerful. They do create so much value for society, for consumers and producers alike, right? Think about all the people, um, game developers, app developers, content creators. Like, you can literally have a profession to just post stuff on Instagram. I mean, it's awesome. Um, it's not my career path, but it's awesome nonetheless, okay? These things literally were not possible pre-platform. And, and the list goes on for Amazon and Uber and all these things that are kind of enabling people to be entrepreneurs, enabling people to take more control over their creativity or their income or incremental income or, um, you know, the, the platforms are supposed to. Now, some of this can get skewed in the U.S., and we've talked about this, right? It's supposed to provide a uniform playing field, right? And the, and the best, the cream of the crop rises to the top, right? Um, there's a lot of great value from platforms. And, it, and at scale, in the U.S. even, with the tech monopolies, we can see that at the fringes, there are challenges with this. And I think the tech monopolies do need to be regulated to a certain degree, more so on the producer side rather than the consumer side. Okay, we've talked a lot about this. Um, problem is, when you have a totalitarian government, which is basically using a dominant tech platform as an extension of the state, I mean, this, this example here, I mean, it just doesn't get any clearer. That's a big problem to me because now all the power and the value of these platforms is being tainted by politics. Um, and there needs to be a division there. So we're seeing issues in the U.S. Um, with platforms, but, but it's not as much the government doing it. You know, these companies are privately trying to manage this. They actually want the government to give them guidance on what to do. Ironically, Zuckerberg has asked to be regulated and for the FTC to give him guidance on and how to patrol users on Facebook, right? And they haven't done it. This is completely on the other end of the spectrum. And it just, you know, it's unfortunate. It taints the value of, of really what platforms do provide. So Pinduoduo 
you know, um, is a uh, is is the number three platform in China. They're up almost twelve percent this morning after releasing earnings. Um, they had a big beat here, uh, and again, they had a big beat on growth. Their actual earnings per share did not beat. They actually lost money. They were expecting the market was expecting a small profit of EBITDA, um, but they beat. They had one point oh six billion dollars in revenue where the market was expecting about $880 million in revenue. It's a pretty big beat, especially with all the rhetoric around you know, the US-China trade deal and the Chinese economy slowing and hurting. So again, for these young platform companies, Pinduoduo was founded in 2015, guys. Okay? It's not even five years old. This thing went public last year. This thing went public in three years from being founded, and it's the number three e-com site in China. I mean, holy moly. So a couple things we're seeing from this. A, absolutely, as we're seeing in the U.S., where you can have a dominant e-commerce marketplace winner, two of them, like in the U.S., I think you have Amazon and Walmart as the general overall winners. But now you're seeing vertical-specific winners, right? We've talked about sneakers and, 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 and luxury goods and uh, cars, and you have these vertical-specific winners. Um, where you could have one or two winners in each niche. And each niche is not, a, I mean, it's not a small niche. It's hundreds of billions of dollars of niche. Um, but you'll have the overall e-commerce winners and then niche winners. Still a winner-take-all dynamic kind of on both levels. You're seeing the same thing here in China, where Pinduoduo is absolutely the e-commerce winner for like group purchases, which has resonated with these rural villages that all pool together the stuff they want to buy. Um, and that's catapulted them to to number three. Now, here's the interesting thing. Let's look at GMV. This thing, this is the thing that really shocked me. They had $83 billion in GMV in the previous quarter, Q1 of 2019. They reported $103 billion in GMV this past quarter. That's 25% GMV growth. That is the most exciting thing to me. I honestly don't care that they beat by you know, a hundred or so million dollars in revenue. To me, especially if the company is less than five years old, I'm looking at the true top line. And true top line, as I've griped against Lyft, true top line for a platform, especially marketplace, is not revenue. It's GMV. My big problem with why Lyft is not disclosing that anymore. I want to see the total throughput of stuff and how fast that's growing. Then I can infer how, how much take rate and how well you can slice off revenue from the GMV. But if the GMV is hurting or slowing, and I don't know on Lyft, this I know the GMV is crushing. And so that's going to make me very bullish on Pinduoduo um, and their ability to eventually, you know, break even. And, and they're basically at break even right now. Um, if anything, you know, continue to then just have a larger take rate as the GMV grows, because they have a more dominant share, more of a winner-take-all dynamic, then they have more leverage to be able to take more money out of that pie. So that's all we have for today. Uh, I am on vacation for the next few days, so I will talk to you early next week. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you soon.